Minutes Detours from the Detroit Free Press. I'm your host, Rob St. Mary. And I'm the Free Press Entertainment Editor, Steve Byrne. This week, it's the nose that knows. They've got designs, so sharing it all around Detroit. It's the beginning of a new effort of end of the world art, we'll explain. And in case you didn't know, it's more than just a simple hijab. The traditional dress always included some type of head covering um, there. Different style, different way of wrapping it, but it was still there. In your guide for the weekend, we have a few suggestions from the Free Brain Trust and also something from Steve and yours truly. And this week, we say happy birthday to a man who has been making folks laugh for well over 30 years. That's right. Welcome in another week of detours from the Detroit Free Press. I'm your host, Rob St. Mary, and uh, back on location. It's nice to be back on location again. We did uh, two over at the big sculpture there at uh, the, the factory, 333 Midland, as you heard in the last two weeks, and that was a lot of fun. And um, speaking of designs, uh, Mr. Byrne, uh, we're going to be getting into that in a minute. But of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say go to iTunes and subscribe there, or maybe it's Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get quality podcasts, or maybe it is freep.com where you're hearing this. We always love to hear from you. And of course, uh, there's many ways to reach out through social media and um, just just great to be out in the sunshine again. It is always good to be on location. Got a nice view of both a little bit of the Fisher Freeway and a broad swath of uh, Eastern Market from the window that we're looking out of. That's right. And we are, uh, we're at a place where uh, when you walk in, you're definitely uh, hit with a, a, a very lovely fragrance. You are indeed. Um, I will confess, I can only get a whiff of it. You know, the lifelong allergy sufferer, plus <laughs> the deviated septum from a little issue I had with some thugs back in uh, back when I was still in uh, high school. I don't smell that well, but okay. I can definitely pick up a very nice scent here. Well, How about you? I was going to say you smell fine from here, so that's okay. Thank you. Yes, yes. All right, all right. Anyway. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's lovely where we are uh, this week. Uh, a little bit of art on the walls, a uh, little presentation here, kind of interesting pieces. I'm sure you've got some photos you're going to be sharing up on the Instagram. I will, indeed. But it is Detroit Wick. Really neat little place. And That's in right. a perfect location, If um, I believe it would be the south southwest cor- no, southeast corner. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with Lake Sapino is, um, you can see the rocky peanut place and then also the big shed two sign from where we're standing. And of course, I mean, how can you be remiss uh, to come here to Eastern Market and not buy something from the folks on the bridge over 75? So this is like right in your path if you're gonna go look at uh, all the vendors on the bridge. Is that where you get most of your CDs? Of course, and my socks. Yeah. And plus, we're seeing some, you know, we're here mainly to, we're talking about Detroit Wick, we're talking about Detroit Design Festival, but of course, we're in the midst of the dead middle of murals in the market. So um, I'm going to walk out of here and go see some of the new stuff that's gone up over the last couple of days. Well, let's find out more about this place. I had a chance recently to talk to Doug Schwartz with Detroit Wick. Doug Schwartz, I'm the owner curator at Detroit Wick. And uh, we do a few things here. One is we do scent creation. um, And we do a lot of private label for direct to business where we create a scent for that business or company and then white label pretty much any type of uh, format from candle, diffuser, home spray, yoga mat spray, car spray, rear view hanger. Um, And then we uh, produce that for that client and that scent becomes their proprietary scent. 
uh, for a thing that we call scent branding. You know, for a quick second there, I thought you said set design, and then I realized it was scent design. And, um, you know, creating, creating a scent, I mean, um, what are some of the combinations? What are some of the, the challenges people come to you with? Um, I think people come in and they have a favorite candle or scent that they like, and they ask me to try to duplicate something like that. Um, so what we try to do is make something very close to that, not exact, so it becomes um, their own. And then they can market it um, any way they want. And as for uh, you doing this, what's sort of your background? How did you get into doing sort of scent um, creation and everything that you do here? Uh, pretty much by accident. I've been in retail as a buyer and seller for about 12 years. And one of the big things that we've sold over the years are candles. It's great for anything, um, any type of gift opportunity. But one of the main things that I did at all my stores is have a unique scent over the years. So people really, they're sensory um, you know, they, they recognize that and relate with, to that. So, you know, people over the, over the years would really um, connect with something like that. So that really is a main focus for us. I'd have to say that maybe it is, um, in a way, kind of like how people get into certain food, you know, like how food trends are, or maybe uh, color trends, clothing trends, music trends, things like that. Have you seen trends over time? Like, how does it kind of ebb and flow, and what are we at right now? I don't think the trending thing is really what it is. I think it's more, um, you know, a sensory experience. So, you know, when you walk into a space, what we try to do is kind of touch on all five senses. So sight, sound, smell, touch, taste. So like when you walk in the door, you may not know that all these things are hitting at one time, but it happens. So scent is something that, you know, brings back memories. And you're in a an excellent location here. You kind of explain uh, where we're at location-wise and what people can expect if they uh, come into the space, I guess. Are you open every day or just during market days? We're right in the heart of Eastern Market on the corner of Russell and Fisher, so we're at the south end of the market, closer to Gratiot. Um, I look at this more as, as like a lifestyle gallery space. So, you know, we do um, everything having to do with scent, but we also do more art showings, and it's more of a gallery experience. So the other part of what I do, um, I'm the sculpture partner for a company called the Caliber Foundation. And what we do is I receive and get illegal guns swept from crime scenes or turned into buyback and amnesty programs. And I encapsulate them in Lucite sculpture and then 20% of the proceeds goes back to fund families of illegal gun violence. It's a national activation and uh, we create some, some beautiful pieces and uh, it's all for a great cause. And that's what's up right now, but does this change from time to time, or is that a constant? Um, so that's a consistent thing. Um, you know, the, the secondary thing to that, using Lucite, is people bring me their keepsakes and mementos. So it could be from a signed dollar bill, it could be um, a cork from an event, a wedding, it could be a floral arrangement. So pretty much anything and everything, people bring me those memorabilia or keepsakes, and I encapsulate that, that for them. So it's a very cool, very cool process. Uh, as for uh, Market After Dark, which I believe is this week, yep. can you kind of explain uh, what that is and what your part will be? Sure. So, um, you know, the, the murals in the market, you know, obviously it's, it's the entire footprint of Eastern Market and artists from Detroit and all over the globe come in to activate the Eastern Market footprint. So the After Dark, which is the end of that, you know, nine or ten day activation, um, we're actually having an event here starting at eight. Uh, with a platform called Detroit Is It, 
and we're bringing in artists, four or five artists that will curate within the space, show and sell, um, and Humble Design, which is a nonprofit, pro some of the proceeds will go to to that company, um, and then it's just you know the whole market's going to be um, pretty intense. I think you know thousands of people come down for that for that event. And as for your piece in um, the uh, Detroit Design Festival, are you part of that as well? I don't know what my role is yet, but um, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to contribute something. Yeah. As for these opportunities to bring people here in sort of um, non-market hours, what do you see as the difference with the crowd, the different types of people you get then versus market days on, say, Saturday? Or so that's a great question. Um, so I get a lot of people out of country, out of town that just come here and walk in the door with a camera, taking pictures, and I always ask, you know, what are you doing here and where are you from? Because uh, I like to know, I'm curious. Um, and all these people from out of country and out of state come in because they want to see Detroit and what's, you know, what's happening in Detroit. And Eastern Market is the center of all that. You know, it's, we're going on 125 years in the market. We're the largest historic market in the nation. So. I see a lot of people on non-market days coming in just to see Detroit and Eastern Market as like their first stop. So they get to experience the food, the culture, the art. Um, and then when people walk into my space, they really vibe with that because it's something a little bit progressive and different than what they're used to. And as for that, if folks want to come out uh, and check out the space and what you're doing here, um, how can they do it? So it's 1400 East Fisher. Like I said, it's the corner of Russell and Fisher south end of the market. I'm open pretty much every day. Sundays uh, we are closed, um, but every day 10 to 4 or 5 p.m. and it's uh, you know a great gallery experience and they get to experience all the senses. Um, any place online to learn more? Uh, Detroitwick.com. Okay. Anything else you want to add that maybe I forgot to ask you about? Um, the only other thing that we're starting to do uh, this fall, uh, we're gonna throw some events called Pour and people can come in from corporate team building to a girls night out so anywhere from 10 to 50 people and they can rent the space and go through the entire olfactory experience so they'll come in they'll go through the scent process be able to actually pour candles in store and have a, an amazing takeaway and the last thing that I do that I've been booking a lot is people are always looking for space downtown and we're the perfect like 50 to 125 person venue so I've done everything from corporate breakfast to baby showers to wedding receptions to just events in general. So we're starting to actually rent the space out for that um, because we're in an incredible location. So, Doug Schwartz with Detroit WIC. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. That's Doug Schwartz of Detroit WIC, and of course, as he said, there's uh, great places to get that information. He's here pretty much every day, close on Sundays. You can always stop by, even if it's not a market day, which is nice that uh, a lot of these businesses down here keeping it vibrant, uh, doing interesting things, uh, even when it's not a Saturday and you're running down here for your produce. Absolutely. And as you had mentioned, this is also a part, I, I don't want to say ground zero because there's so many things going on with uh, the Detroit Design Festival this year. And uh, this just happens to be one of those places that's taking part in it. And um, decided to get a little background on that. Are you interested? I am indeed. I've been to it the last couple of years. Um, and I always look forward to Eastern Market After Dark, which I know Detroit WIC is going to be involved with. Yeah, so I had a chance to speak to Jessica Maloof of the Detroit Creative Corridor Center and the Detroit Design Festival.
Jessica Maloof and I work at the Detroit Creative Corridor Center in New Center, Detroit. Uh, we program um, several different events that support Detroit's design industries and one of the things that we program is the Detroit Design Festival which is taking place this week from September 21st to the 25th. The festival's been around for a couple of years. What's sort of the background on this? Yeah, so the festival kicked off in 2010. So we're into the sixth year of the Detroit Design Festival. It started as a, um, a mechanism and a way to really promote the talent and um, the design talent that's living here in Detroit and the types of assets that we have and really showcase that to the greater community within Michigan, but also highlight the talent nationally and internationally because a lot of people at the time weren't really thinking of Detroit as being a design capital or a place that's producing world-renowned design work. So that was the initial um, attempt of the Detroit Design Festival, which turned out to be very you know, successful over the past six years. It's grown tremendously, and um, just this year we recently won a UNESCO City of Design designation, which is a, a very honorable designation from the United Nations. And it you know, puts Detroit on a very international level and uh, um, connects us to cities around the world and exchange best practices on how to build a better city through the power of design. I mean, when I think of design, I, I think of some of the historic stuff. I mean, maybe it's uh, Albert Kahn and the buildings, or maybe it's all the great auto design over the years. But um, do we find that it's, it's more than just sort of celebrating that history, that there are people doing innovative and interesting things today? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we definitely take pride in our history and our legacy from architecture, furniture, automotives. But um, we also have, this legacy has lived on to today. And like, there's so many new young designers from very diverse backgrounds doing really groundbreaking work. So um, we want to, you know, remember our past and, you know, acknowledge the designers and the work that they're doing now and seeing how this can really propel Detroit into the future and how we can build a better city through design. As for the festival, um, give me an idea of some of the places uh, where things are taking place and some of the things, uh, I know it's hard to pick a, yes. a few because there are so many. But maybe just a few to kind of give an idea of the range of what people can expect if they come out. Yes, yeah, so um, the festival really, you know, it's for everyone. It's um, There's events that really appeal to everyone. So Wednesday the festival kicks off and it kicks off with a, um, a lecture panel discussion where we bring, we bring in five different um, thought leaders from the Creative Cities Network, which is part of the UNESCO uh, organization. And they're going to discuss the various ways that design ha has influenced their cities or how this designation has influenced and improved the, the quality of life in their cities. So there's going to be pr a lot of programming around this designation and you know conversations that will spark a lot of thinking and conversation on how we can use this designation over the next 10 years. And then we also have a lot of events like Eastern Market After Dark, which is really for everyone. It's a way to showcase how the Eastern Market District is not only a food hub, but it can be a creative district and how these businesses are helping this neighborhood thrive. We also have a event in the neighborhoods in Light Up called Light Up Livernoy. It takes place on Livernoy between Six Mile and Outer Drive, and it really showcases how this neighborhood is using design to really improve the retail experience within the neighborhoods. And then we also have you know a lot of schools who have partnered and are showcasing a lot of the artwork and um, design installations such as Lawrence Tech and you know CCS and stuff like that. 
I think it's interesting that it's moved beyond, I guess, maybe what we would consider some of the, uh, the more obvious places, maybe downtown, midtown, um, here maybe Eastern Market, but actually into the neighborhoods. Yes, absolutely. So we're really trying to focus that, like, design really is within everywhere everywhere within Detroit, and it can improve the quality of life in the neighborhoods within the city. You know, a lot of people think of design as being in downtown, but there's a lot of really amazing activity that's happening outside of the downtown area, such as Livernois, such as in Detroit's North End District, the villages near Jefferson. So we really try to highlight and showcase what's happening in the various neighborhoods. And I don't know if you said it or not, so forgive me if I'm asking you again. How many different things are going on? Yeah, so there are about 20 core events that are taking place. But if you come to Eastern Market after dark, you could see um, you know, more than 30 events taking place just within Eastern Market because there's so many galleries just like where we are now, Detroit Wick and um, like Rio Pell Studio, Red Bull House of Art. You know, All those studios are hosting their own events. And then same with Light Up Livernois. It's kind of this one big event that takes up takes place on Livernois, but then all the retail um, stores and galleries are also you know hosting their own events at the same time is there a good place to go to get more information online if i want maybe a schedule or yes absolutely if you go to www.detroitdesignfestival.com we have the full schedule and um, detailed description of all the events that are happening jessica maloof with the detroit creative corridor center and the detroit design festival thanks so much for taking the time thank you for having me That was Jessica Maloof with the Detroit Creative Corridor Center and the Detroit Design Festival. Of course, the Detroit Design Festival all this weekend, uh, all over the place. Actually, starts on Wednesday. So by the time you're hearing this, it's up and running. You should just like take the podcast with you if you're in the car and just drive to one of these locations where this design festival is happening and just take it in. We just, will be your company. That's right. That's what we're there for. And, of course, you can get more on Detroit WIC and the Detroit Design Festival on our website and our show page this week at Freep.com. Well, Steve, you know, um, being an artist and making a living, that's a challenge. Being an artist and creating a lifestyle from it is really quite something else. But being an artist and creating a place for community where you can not only showcase your work but others is the concept behind the new storefront that is in process with the husband-wife team behind Armageddon Beach Party. They have a special event coming up this weekend in order to make that new place that they have planned in Woodbridge happen. So I had a chance to speak recently to Elena and Aubrey Smith, the couple behind Armageddon Beach Party. I'm Mosu. And I'm Cosma. Uh, and we have our own pop art brand called Armageddon Beach Party. Armageddon Beach Party. Um, this is like surfing while nuclear bombs are going off. Explain. Well, the whole concept behind Armageddon Beach Party is kind of like, you know, we live in a society that's so obsessed with the end of the world. We've lived through how many supposed doomsdays, and we imagine we'll see many more in our lifetime. So it's just kind of this joking concept of, well, if the world's going to end, might as well make the best of our time while we're here. And if not, let's live like it is. <laughs> Plus, if the world was going to end, wouldn't you like to have a beach party? Just sort of a cynical view on the, the state of our, our existence here. <laughs> but at the same time, your stuff's very colorful and uh, also a lot of repurpose. 
Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, we specialize in psychedelic pop art, and uh, Aubrey and I, we do all of our artwork fully collaboratively. Um, and so, essentially, we, we like to alter people's perceptions of the possible and bring uh, psychedelic pop art to the modern age. Very cool. Well, I uh, got to know you guys originally through uh, the Rust Belt, and uh, that's where you usually have a shop, and then you've been doing some other stuff. So so tell me what the next plan is. Uh, I heard uh, very exciting uh, updates. Uh, yeah, we're actually we're going to be opening our brick-and-mortar store uh, this November uh, in the Midtown area, uh, specifically in the Woodbridge neighborhood at Trumbull and Putnam. Uh, it's going to be the 1,300-square-foot Armageddon Beach Party store and lounge. Um, and so half of it's going to be our uh, art-based retail space, and the other half is actually going to be a community-oriented uh, mini-venue where we're going to host a, a menagerie of uh, fantastic local shows. So has this been something that's uh, been been the dream for a while? That's kind of the culmination of all our hard work over the last four years since we first came up with the name Armageddon Beach Party. It's been three and a half years self-employed now and it's kind of been the whole goal all along is to uh, open up our own store. I mean, still be able to do the rest of the things that we do as Armageddon Beach Party, like performance-based live painting and vending at all sorts of music events and festivals around the country, gallery work, but having an actual physical location, um, the main flagship store, if you will, has kind of been the whole, the whole goal all along. Uh, to really be able to represent Detroit art to the masses and um, sort of... Uh, in, a w in a manner of speaking, we want to represent the true culture of Detroit uh, before, before it's lost with all these intensive changes that are going on. Uh, we, essentially, we want to represent the counterculture. Yeah. Yeah. Just be a uh, cultural hub for the uh, counterculture of the, of the city. Um, not this this super polished uh, thing that's been popping up and becoming art, uh, all too prevalent within the city. I mean, four years, three and a half self-employed doing this, and obviously it's catching on. I remember you telling me you had uh, rather well-known musicians uh, having you do some commissions, hanging out with them. Yeah, we uh, just got done doing a two and a half month artist residency for Zach Brown of the Zach Brown Bands. Um, we did a month at his recording studio in Nashville and then another month and a half at his personal property in Georgia doing all sorts of amazing giant murals, sculptural works and installations. Um, it, it was a hell of an experience. How has it been, you know, being outside of Detroit? How does it travel? Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, traveling is one of our absolute favorite things to do. Um, it's great to, to experience other cities, other cultures, and to be able to bring all of that back to Detroit. And, and also, it, it's interesting because with all of the places we have been, both in the country and outside of the country, nowhere has compared to Detroit. Everywhere pales in comparison. Just something about that, that Detroit grit. There, there's just something about the soul here. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask about that because it is that grittiness. You know, I lived in Colorado for a time and like people are like, ugh, you know, your rock music's too loud kind of thing. How does the art travel when you go? Oh, um, it travels all right. <laughs> uh, there's there's certainly some paintings that, that we do that we don't take out with us. <laughs> Things that are purely gallery, but 
Um, the work travels well, and we're uh, very well received across the country. Wherever we go, we can. Uh, we're very lucky to be able to transcend different boundaries and genres. Uh, we could do a a metal event one week, uh, hip hop, country, uh, an, EDM, an EDM event the next, a punk show the next. <laughs> like it, it, we really we don't like to put ourselves in a box, and, and that that's something we've always focused on when building this brand. And throughout. Um, our time doing this is as we go along we seem to be very well received in whatever facet we uh, present ourselves in so it's very nice to get a lot of love and the artwork's super cool and we also get a lot of love just from being from Detroit people people show a lot of respect for Detroit around the country so is that what we can expect in terms of the venue is you know it's not gonna be one thing it's gonna be many things and we can come see various acts Exactly. On any given night, you could come out and have no idea what type of show you're going to see because we, we don't want to be one specific uh, type of thing. We want to be, uh, as, we, as we were saying, a, a hub for all sorts of different co counterculture, not specifically punk, not specifically electronic, just a, as Cosmo here put it, a menagerie of different things. And as for the uh, storefront right now, you have a bit of a campaign going. Can you explain what that is and how people get involved? Yeah, actually, we have a GoFundMe campaign going on right now uh, in order to raise uh, funds for the build-out of our new space. Uh, the GoFundMe is going until the end of September, and uh, you can visit the site. It's www.gofundme.com slash Beach. And on that site, um, what we're trying to do is raise 20 grand as of right now. Um, so if you're interested in having a really awesome uh, counterculture venue, uh, in addition to amazing uh, psychedelic pop art that represents Detroit in the modern age, then I would say you should definitely be involved. <laughs> and also on top of that, in order to help kind of put you guys over the top, a little event coming up, can you explain what that's going to be? Yeah, uh, we're having a show on September 23rd. Which is uh, a Friday. Yes, uh, called the Armageddon Beach Party Grand Gathering, and it's going to be a magnificent uh, psychedelic rock show. Uh, we have 16 amazing local Detroit performers, and uh, we are. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> There's going to be a ton of local amazing psychedelic bands, burlesque, fire performers, all sorts of great stuff. So you should definitely come out and show some support. Of course, we'll get more of the details uh, on the website, freep.com, with, uh, with the show this week. So we won't leave you hanging on uh, where that is and all the details on that. But uh, just wanted to ask, guys, uh, I guess what's next is the storefront. But anything you want to add? Maybe something I forgot to ask you about. Um, we're also, uh, within the next five years or so, we're planning on uh, taking our work, not only to furthering it to a national scale, but also we're interested in going to an international scale with it. So who knows where scale. Armageddon Beach Party will go. That's kind of the next big step is uh, we've been building a national uh, presence and audience. Now it's time to go in an international. Armageddon Beach Party Berlin? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. Yes, you. most definitely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was Elena.
Christina and Aubrey Smith, the couple behind Armageddon Beach Party and their special fundraising event taking place at the Pickle Factory. Do you know where this is? Have you seen I have not place? been to the Pickle Factory, but I have talked to the folks at Armageddon. Um, I think, believe, they used to have a place up at Rust Belt Market, correct? Still there? Yes, I've met, I've met them there, and they're really cool. Yeah, well, this place, the Pickle Factory, I didn't even know what it was. I, I went there once, and I think it was called something else. But anyhow. Fill uh, me in on it. it it's, it's an interesting uh, venue. It's one of these reuse kind of places, you know, where someone got a hold of a of an industrial warehouse because we don't have enough of those around here and uh, have turned it into a venue. So it's in the Island View neighborhood. Uh, I'm not going to give you the address on here, but you should definitely go to our show page this week and you can do that. Uh, by the way, if you can't make their event on Friday, they're still um, working on the cause through a crowdfunding campaign. So we'll have a link up to that as well. They're hoping to have their storefront and performance space up uh, sometime later this year. Very neat stuff. If you haven't checked it out, um, really worth a look. Yeah, and you can get links and details and all of that on our show page this week at Freak.com. It's Detours from the Detroit Free Press. I'm Rob St. Mary. And I'm Steve Byrne. Well, you know, Steve, uh, I I think many would consider barbers and hairstylists to be artists. In fact, we, uh, we had fun at one of those places recently. Union Barber, I believe. That's right. Yeah. You know, they didn't help me too much. I'm already, you know. I have since gone back and gotten a haircut there, by the way. Yeah. You know, when you shave your head, really, kind of kind of limits everything that you can do in a barbershop. But when we talk about sort of artistry of, of hair and how you present yourself, I think head wraps also would, would have to be an artistry as well. I mean, we're talking about colorful cloth, beautiful patterns, and the reasons for some, maybe it's fashion. Some, maybe it's faith. Others, it's cultural. So I spoke recently with Zarina Alamin Naim, the organizer behind the fourth annual Head Wrap Expo. I'm Zarina Alamin Naim. So I'm the founder of the Head Wrap Expo. And I have been doing this for quite some time. I'm an anthropologist by training. So that's sort of my background. So as for the Head Wrap Expo, can you kind of give me a uh, background into how it came together? Because I know this has been uh, going on for a couple of years. Right. Right. So this year is our fourth year for the Head Wrap Expo. And um, the Expo really started as an outgrowth of the Beautifully Wrapped Calendar. So I have been head wrapping for and teaching head wrapping now for about um, about 15 years or so. So, and it started kind of organically where people would just see my wraps in, you know, the restroom or something at the restaurant or something. And they would say, okay, can you teach me how to wrap? Can you teach me how to wrap? So I would do these little tutorials in the bathrooms across the nation. (laughs) And then um, it kind of went from there into doing library workshops and workshops at universities and schools around the art of head wrapping. So I started to infuse not just the the techniques on how to rap, but also started to talk more about the spirituality of rapping and the culture of rapping from different perspectives. So as an anthropologist, I'm always looking at cultural phenomena that are cross-cultural. So things that can be found in many different areas of the world. And I noticed that head rapping was one of those. And so people really took a liking to the workshops and I started getting invited to do them more frequently. 
And then we did a calendar. It's called the Beautifully Wrapped Calendar. And it showcased the fashion tradition and culture of head wraps. So we did that calendar and people really loved it. You know, it was sparking conversations around. We still do the calendar now. We just actually put out the um, 2017 calendar this week. So we just released that calendar. But then I wanted to do something that was bigger, right? So when you start traveling around and you're seeing all these different people that have things that are similar to other groups, but sometimes they feel like they are alone. So you have Muslim women that rap. You know, you have Indian Sikhs that rap. You have Jewish women that rap. All of these different groups that rap, but they're kind of off in their own little individual silos. So the expo was founded as a way to bring all of these different groups together and create intercultural understanding and in a fun way, though. It's not one of those kind of hit over the head diversity type of events where, you know, it, it's more of an organic type of um, way. So that's sort of the background about how the expo came about. And now we're in our fourth year for the expo, fifth year for the calendar, and we're getting calls to take it on the road. So I'm not sure how we're going to do that yet, but I do know that we want to expand it to other places in the nation. Obviously, you're in your fourth year, as you were saying, and you're getting calls. I mean, uh, is that interest uh, to you kind of surprising? It's not surprising. You know, when I started doing this a long time ago, it was a, a bit of a more, uh, how should I say, like, you know, people just loved it. People just were like, oh, that's so interesting. That's so neat. That's so unique. You know, they loved it. And now I think that Beautifully Wrapped and the Expo and the Calendar have contributed to this trend now around head wrapping. So in certain groups, now you're finding that more people are interested in head wraps, more people are interested in turbans. And there's kind of like a, a trend, you know, it's trendy now to wrap and wear turbans. And I think that we have sort of somewhat contributed to that. And I think that is part of what is sparking more interest in our programs and in the work that we do. So I'm not I'm not that surprised actually about it. I think that we were kind of just on the front end of it. You were talking about, you know, your background as an anthropologist and that. Um, do you think it is surprising to you, I would say maybe in the last decade, decade and a half or so, that uh, head wrap has become this political issue to a certain extent. I mean, at least in sort of uh, American media and discourse. I mean, has it always been that kind of thing? Uh, or has it just been uh, sort of, eh, it's a personal choice issue. We're not going to get into the, you know, the political ramifications of what someone's wearing on their head. Yeah, I think that, you know, before it, it was, I think now that it's very interesting that people are taking out the notion of choice. You know, we live in this democracy. We talk about the fact that people have the right to express their lives. They have the right to express their faith in the way that they choose to. That is that that notion of choice is always something that has been central to democracy. Yet right now we are in this era of France banning a particular style of swimsuit, you know, burkini, um, where just, I think it was just yesterday, a Muslim woman in Queens 
was stabbed and they they uh, elderly Muslim woman and they are pretty sure that this was like a hate crime that targeted her because of the way that she was dressed, identifying herself as a Muslim. And I think that it's to me as a Muslim woman, I am a Muslim woman. So I grew up uh, rapping. That was my first entry into head wraps and rapping was as a Muslim woman covering because of my faith. When I began to look around and notice that there were so many other groups that also covered, I found it really interesting because, for example, like the Sikh men, nobody calls them oppressed because they wear a turban every day. Even if you look in the Arab world and you find the men, most Arab countries, the men also cover their hair on a frequent basis. Nobody calls the men oppressed. But when it comes to women's dress, there's also there's often this um, notion of wanting to control it. So I think that that is uh, that's a problem. So one of the things that we did like for the expo was to be very intentional about showcasing the many variations of raps around the world. So that is for both men and for women. And so we discussed the reasons why people rap. We discuss um, if it's even from a spiritual reason. Not everybody raps for a spiritual reason. Some people just rap for cultural tradition or fashion. They just like the way it looks. So we discuss all of those things in a place where people can actually ask questions. Because like right now, I don't, I don't have a, I won't say I don't have a problem with people having biases. I understand that people have biases, and I understand that. People don't understand why people look differently than them or why somebody would choose to cover in a different way. And so this event allows us to explore the intersection between fashion, faith and culture using a hook, you know, using something that is artistic, something that's beautiful. And people can then come to their own understanding and their own conclusion about what it is that this piece of cloth <laughs> means, what it means, you know? So, you know, the, the political stuff is really, is interesting to me. I think that we have to do some things to, to work on that because you can't have people just getting stabbed in the street just because of the way they look like that's, you know, no, who what society can live like that. So we have to do some things to address the fear and the misunderstandings and the um, biases that people are holding. This is a very traditional idea, uh, goes back uh, hundreds of years, if not even more. What is something new that's going on in the world of uh, head wraps? Yeah, you're right. You know, there are so many different cultures, you know, that that wrap for various reasons. So if you look, if you go to Mali, jump on the plane, go to Mali, touch down, go out into the desert, you're going to find that the Tuareg there, who are nomadic tribes, have been for centuries, you know, they cover their hair in a particular way that identifies which tribe they're from, but also serves as for just a, you know, a purpose, a protection from the desert, from the dust, you know, those types of things. If you go to the Balkan states and you go to Romania, you go to Slovakia, you go to uh, Bulgaria, you look in those regions and you find that the traditional dress always included some type of head covering there different style different way of wrapping it but it was still there you know i think like for me as an uh, african-american muslim woman like my family when my parents 
converted to Islam back in the 70s. For many African-American women, covering their hair in the way that we do, like in the more turban, West African-inspired style, was a way for us to fulfill the prescription of covering, you know, which many people believe is, is an Islamic prescription, but also to do it like with our style, like our way. So I'm going to cover, but I'm going to do it in my funky style. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way, the way I want to do it. And I think that right now, especially in the African-American community, outside of the Muslim community, but just African-American community, you have this huge resurgence around natural hair and head wrapping is becoming a big part of that. People are connecting to things that identify them as culturally African or things that uh, take them back to and make them and showcase that they're proud of who they are. So I think head wrapping is playing a big role in that in the African-American community. And that is spilling over. So like when you go to New York Fashion Week, which is coming up in a couple of weeks now, you start in the past, like you start to see that big mainstream designers like Prada, you know, they are incorporating turbans and head wraps onto the runway. You have Alicia Keys, you know, Erica Badu, all these big celebrities that wear or have worn wraps. So to me right now is very trendy. It's a it's um a look that a lot of people are are interested in getting into. And I love that. I love that because even if they don't know all of the traditional and spiritual aspects that go along with rapping for many other cultures, they're still kind of opening themselves up and cultivating a global mind. And I think that that, even if it's unconscious, <laughs> is dope. I love the fact that um, that people are able to, to achieve that through just a simple piece of cloth wrapped around your head, you know. Does that make sense, kind of? Sure. Yeah, it does make sense. One of the, the things that kind of goes along with it, obviously, is uh, folks that want to come out for the event. So uh, what is the details? What do I need to know? Is there an admission? Things like that. Yeah, the, at the expo is um, September 25th. That's a Sunday. Side note, we do it on a Sunday because there are so many spiritual traditions that observe the Sabbath on a Saturday. This is just totally just side note. But it's on a Sunday for that reason, so that it could be an interfaith event and everybody can participate. So it's Sunday, September 25th. It's from 1 to 8 p.m. at the Ford Community and Performing Arts Center, which is in Dearborn uh, on Michigan Avenue, 15801 Michigan Avenue. It's uh, $15 in advance and 20 at the door. And the full day pass, like that entrance includes all of the fashion shows. So we have fashion shows showcasing uh, modest wear and local fashion designers. We have seven fashion shows. It also gets you into all the tutorials. We have men's tutorials. We have women's tutorials, the interfaith panel discussions, and the workshops. So we have a business track this year, which is a little bit different than some of the other years. So now that head wraps are so trendy, people are starting head wrap businesses. You know, we were one of the first, but there are more now other head wrap businesses. So we're going to showcase how people can begin to make money in the head wrapping industry and how that can, you know, just be an extra stream of income for folks. So we have a business track this year. We also invited this dude from uh, from Texas. His name is Shagun Gale. 
And Shagun Gele is S-E-G-U-N-G-E-L-E. But Shagun Gele is, um, he's like a big Nigerian Gele, which is like a Nigerian style head wrap artist. Yeah, so we got him this year and I'm super excited because he's going to do the Nigerian style and talk about the culture of that of the Gele. But he's also going to talk about how people can make money doing head wraps. Like this dude came here to America, started a head wrapping business, and it's pulling in six figures just tying head wraps. Like I think that that's pretty, you know, special. So we're going to be talking about the business of head wrapping um, at the event too. And the tickets are available at our website, headwrapexpo.com. They're also available at some local Detroit businesses, uh, like Janae Beats and Arts is a import shop in Greektown, and they're available there. And they're also available at Steve Rose International, which is um, another import shop that tickets are available at. Did you say that there's a good place online to get more information as well? Yes, it's uh, headwrapexpo.com, H-E-A-D-W-R-A-P-E-X-P-O.com. So anything you want to add that maybe I forgot to ask you about? I think I would just add that the Head Wrap Expo is for everybody, people that love culture and people that love cultivating a global mind. And we really want to invite youth and young people out so that they can learn more about um, the communities that make up Metro Detroit. You know, we've been really intentional about inviting segments of the community that are oftentimes ignored, like the Sikh Indians, like the different Muslim communities, like the Hare Krishnas and all of these different groups that sometimes people drive by their temples (laughs) on the road and they may be like, well, what's that thing over there? But they never really get a chance to explore or connect with them. So the expo is a wonderful opportunity for people to just connect with the diversity and with the um, the beauty of the Metro Detroit region, even if they don't love head wraps or even if they've never wrapped before. <laughs> That's one thing. And the second thing I think I forgot to mention was that we also are doing a special workshop for people who have lost their hair due to cancer or alopecia. So this was a really big hit the first year that we did the expo. And unfortunately, now a lot of people are dealing with chemo And they don't want to wear wigs. They don't want to wear hats. So the head wrap is a nice alternative to them. So we're going to also feature that this year. Well, Zarina Alameen Naeem, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate your, um, your reaching out to us. That's Zarina Alameen Naeem, the organizer behind the fourth annual Head Wrap Expo taking place Sunday afternoon at the Ford Community and Performing Arts Center in Dearborn. It, it, it just seems like one of those things, as we were talking about. Uh, I, I think that a lot of attention in the media, obviously, comes around things like we see burqa bands in other countries. Uh, obviously, uh, living here in southeast Michigan, we see a lot of ladies with hijab. But there's a, a broader range of, of head wraps and styles and different things going on for both men and women. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, I haven't heard this interview yet as we're talking about it, but I'm looking forward to hearing about it because I've heard about this event and um, it sounds like a really compelling thing. Yeah. Of course, you can get links to that and stay up to date with everything from this week's show and more on our show page at Freep.com.
Well, we've given you a few suggestions for the weekend so far, but those aren't going to work for you. The, um, the Freak Brain Trust has come down here and they actually created a very special scent that when we burn the candle, it will reveal the top five. So um, why don't you, let's see if I can get this. Uh, the scent of cultural knowledge, we'll call it. I think I get this lighter working. Okay, good. We got it lit. We got it. There we go. And at number one, head west. Yeah, what makes Art Prize so compelling is the massive swath of art on view. Everything from the chintzy to the choice. The, fe the festival's decentralized, democratized approach to placing art in 160 venues all over Grand Rapids means you'll see a lot of stuff that's great, and maybe not a fair amount that isn't so great. And you're the dis person and you're the person who decides which is which, not some museum creator. The event, which offers some of the largest prize totals in the world, opens Wednesday, September 21st, and continues through October 9th. And even if you're not super into the art that's on display, it's a great time to visit Grand Rapids and do a little people watching. It's free. We'll have more coverage up at freep.com and in the free press print editions, now through early next week, involving Art Prize. All right. At number two, uh, it's very important to take some photos so that that way Years from now, you can look at it and go, wow, look at the hairstyles. The folks behind Documenting Detroit have been throwing photography-related events in Detroit through much of the year, and also mentoring a large group of emerging and talented shutterbugs who've been shooting at spots all over the city. Here's a chance to see some of their work, a very big chance indeed, and outside. Facing Change, Documenting Detroit will be a slideshow of photographs of 21 Detroit area photogs that will be projected outside on the Detroit Institute of Arts Southeast Wall. There are going to be shows at 8 and 9.30 p.m. Friday, and the event is free. Chairs and blankets are recommended. At number three, John Lee Hooker used to hang out there. Yeah, the African-American neighborhood on Detroit's Near East Side, known as Black Bottom and Paradise Valley, thrived from the 1920s until the early 1950s, at least partially due to their bubbling music and dance cultures. Black Bottom Paradise, a new musical by Shirley Bryant by Body Rhythm Dance Theater, a local dance company, attempts to recapture some of those magical sounds and moves. The show, a recipient of a 2004 Night Arts Grant, gets its debut at 8 p.m. Friday at Music Hall Center for the Performing Arts in Detroit. Tickets are 25 to 55. At number four, she was the kind of dame that could put a man on his knees with a smile on her face. Morally compromised protagonist, femme fatales with unclear motives, back alley deals and moonlit streets. These are the stuff of film noir, a movie genre that had its heydays in the 40s and 50s, but still resonates today. That continued relevance will be on display this weekend as a traveling version of the Noir City Film Festival arrives at the Redford Theater in Detroit for three days of dark currents and stylized cinema. Among the movies being screened are the Burt Lancaster, Ava Gardner-led The Killers, the genre classic Double Indemnity, and David Lynch's always unsettling Blue Velvet. Tickets are $10 for double features or $25 for an all-movie pass at the door or at redfordtheater.com. We've got a full preview of this event up at freep.com and in Thursday's play section. And number five, what can I say about this film? If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. Yeah, we're going to stick with the indie theater scene for our final highlight. This Saturday is National Art House Theater Day, a new national program that's being led by the folks connected to the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor. More than 100 theaters around the country are participating, including the Michigan and closer to Metro Detroit, Cinema Detroit, and Midtown, which is screening a newly restored version of Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits, along with offering several National Art House Theater Day promotions. That screening is happening at 7 p.m. Saturday at Cinema Detroit, 
or check out arthousetheater.org for other offerings at other theaters around the state. And as for me this weekend, one thing that will be an absolute not miss, and I say I say this to you, dear listener, and also Mr. Byrne, absolute not miss, one night only event, Kristen Richard's second piece and the three pieces that she's doing. Uh, she did the first one during uh, Design Festival last year called Metabolism. It's Metabolism Part 2. And uh, it's a one night only art exhibition sort of in, in the space. You kind of have to go and be there and and deal with what she's putting in front of you one night only. So uh, this is the is second it? part. This is Friday night. It's Friday night. Got it. So uh, the details, we'll make sure to share that with you at uh, on our show page at Freep.com. But uh, I would say just uh, an amazing artist. If you're not uh, hip to Christian Richard, you, you should be. She does uh, some great work. As for you this weekend, sir. I'm definitely planning on hitting Eastern Market after dark on Thursday. And I'm about 95% sure I'm going to be at Art Prize on Friday night. Um, still a little vague on Saturday plans, but at least we'll be out two nights for sure. All right. And, of course, you can get that and much more from wherever you happen to be and whenever you want it at Freep.com. And for this week's edition of Detroit Arts History, we say happy birthday to a funny man from Macomb County. It was this week in 1959 that Dave Coulier was born. Raised in St. Clair Shores, the story goes that he got his first laughs doing the impressions of his high school principal over the school's PA system. After a year of going to the University of Michigan, he dropped out and started a stand-up career around 1979. After touring the country and going to auditions for roles, he would eventually be cast in the show that I would say most people know him for today, the 1980s family comedy Full House. The show about three bachelors raising three girls in San Francisco. Funny enough, Coulier became friends with fellow cast member Bob Saget on the stand-up circuit before they were both cast in that show. In that time, in the early 80s, was actually living with Saget. The gifted impressionist Coulier would go on on Full House to use that gift for making fun of others, at least sounding like others, when the show ended in 1995 in various places such as cartoon shows and even children's films that he helped to produce. One of his other claims to fame is Coulier's effort to do family-friendly stand-up and comedy. So his act is uh, rather well known for lack of four-letter words and adult material that other comedians often do. In fact, so proud of the fact that Coulier started a comedy tour around that several years ago, featuring comics who do other family-friendly material for those to enjoy. Last year, he did return as Uncle Joey in a new version of Full House on Netflix, an updated version, of course, with the girls all grown up called Fuller House. So this week, we say happy birthday to Dave Coulier on his 57th birthday. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Detours from the Detroit Free Press. I'm Rob St. Mary. And I'm Steve Byrne. But remember, the stories and conversations do not stop here. You can get more information on everything you've heard and more anytime at Freep.com. Remember to subscribe to the show Detours on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get quality podcasts. And don't miss out on the latest updates and breaking stories from around the world and your neighborhood on our social media channels. You can always follow me on Twitter at RobDET. Follow the Detroit Free Press at Freep and also at FreePNT. And you can find me on Twitter at at the Riv, that's A-T-T-H-E-R-I-V, or on Instagram at Freep Ent. Um, one little thing before I shoot out of here, 
Shout out to some coverage that we have up at Freep.com on Thursday. An interview with John Krasinski, who most people know as Jim from The Office, but who has been building a little bit of a movie career recently. He's got a new movie coming out called The Hollers, which is a family kind of comedy drama. But we also get to talk to him a little bit about his recent casting in the what's being called The Untitled Detroit Project, which is Catherine Bigelow's movie about the Detroit riots of 1967. He was just announced as part of that cast last week, and uh, we... We poke at him a little bit. He's not super revealing, but you'll hear a little bit. <laughs> and of course, the print edition of the Detroit Free Press is available at finer stores throughout the metro area. Our theme music and beats you hear each and every week are by Detroit producer Eddie Logix. That's L-O-G-I-X. Oh, and the sound of things to come? When it originally started as, as a Michigan show, uh, I think that we could have probably dreamed that it would have been national, but we had no idea that we would have to... Um, learn as much as we did in such a short period to be national in that first season. You'll hear all that and more next week right here on Detours. Thanks for taking the ride. Detours.